Amen. You have your Bible this morning. Turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're coming back to our study through the book of Philippians. And this morning we're going to be focusing in on verses 3 through 5 this morning and touching on verse 6. And as we prepare to look at this, these verses together, these verses are going to allow us to bring a couple of subjects together that we have been thinking about as a church body, the different times that we meet. We're going to get a chance to think for a moment about unity and love in the body of Christ. Because as we're going to walk through this, we're going to see that this is a reflection of the heart of Paul and his love for the church there at Philippi. And that when we have a love for one another, one of the ways that it will show itself is in our willingness to pray for one another. And that ties in with the other subject that we have been primarily talking about on Wednesday nights together as a church, where we've been speaking about the subject of prayer. And this morning, as we're going to look at these verses, we're going to see that prayer is really the the main subject here. We're going to be talking about personal prayer, your personal prayer life before the Lord. And as Paul is doing this, this is no doubt helping to build unity in, in the bond of love here in the church at Philippi. Because if you stop and you think about it, our prayers for one another will reflect our affections for one another. I imagine most of you here pray for your family. You pray for your family regularly. It's because of your affection for them. And what I want us to think about this morning as we go through this the subject of our personal prayer life, I want you to be thinking about that and think about how it is that you need to incorporate within it your own love for the body of Christ. And that as you love one another, one of the things it will do is to help you to pray for one another. Because clearly as we go through this, we're going to see that Paul just has a love for this church He loves everyone who is a part of this church. He has this deep abiding affection for them. So much so that as he says down in verse 7, that he says, I have you in my heart. How I long for you in verse 8 with an affection. But as we look at him, we see it there in verse 3 where he begins to speak about how he thanks God. Where he says, I thank my God that in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, that I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul is allowing us to look behind the curtain He's allowing us to come into his prayer closet and to see how he prays and to see what he prays. To 
to God and our petitions to God. When we pray for one another, we need to be praying. And in those prayers should be praises to God and should be our petitions to God on behalf of one another. The idea of praise is found there in verse 3. Where he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Beloved, as you read through that verse, just stop and think about what Paul is saying. That a part of his prayers to God on behalf of the church at Philippi was his praising God. And if you look at that in verse 3, you see that there are two parts to his praising of God on their behalf. It is the part of thankfulness and it is the part of thoughtfulness. The thankfulness is clear there in verse 3 where he says, I thank my God. As Paul prays for them, he thanks God for them. And that's an important point to note. Paul knows that all of the good things that are happening there in the life of this church is ultimately because of God. He knows that their participation in the gospel started with God, as he says there in verse 6. It's continuing because of God. They are persevering in the faith, persevering in the gospel, and they will do so until the day of Christ Jesus, all because of God. Yes, they are the the ones that are participating but yet it is God that he's giving all the credit all the glory all the praise beloved this is a pattern of Paul over in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 4 he speaks about thanking God for the grace of God which had been given them in Christ Jesus and that God had in enrich them in Christ Jesus with spiritual blessings, with the spiritual gifts to serve and to be used in the body of Christ. Teaching us, beloved, that we should be thanking God for the saving, sanctifying grace that he has given to others who are here in this church. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, we find there Paul is thanking God again. And he's thanking God for their faith. Their faith is being proclaimed throughout the, the whole world. If we were to look over in Colossians in chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, we would find Paul there giving thanks to God because of the faith that he has heard about, because of the love that he has heard about there in those churches. In fact, if you will for a moment just to see this pattern in Paul, turn back one book to the book of Ephesians for a moment, to Ephesians chapter 1. And look down at verse 15. In Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 15. It says, For this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. See, here he is. He's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love. And he can't help but to give thanks to God for them and for what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their life, what's going on in their church. 
Beloved, this is how we are to be. And I want to encourage you that as you spend time alone with the Lord, that one of the things you do is that you praise God by giving thanks for those who are around you. Praising God for how He has saved us, how He's sanctifying us, how we're sharing the gospel. Praising God for the faith and love that we see. Notice also now, if you take a moment and go back to Philippians chapter 1. In this praise, it's not just thankfulness, but I also want you to notice something very carefully here. It is thoughtfulness. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, if you recall, Paul's in prison. Paul hasn't seen them for several years. Yet, he's letting them know that they have been on his mind. They have been on his heart. He was thoughtful of them. He practiced and he disciplined himself to be mindful, to be thoughtful of others. Let me ask you this morning, how often do you think about the people of our church when you are apart from them? From Sunday to Sunday, how often do you really think about them? How often are you remembering them and remembering them in prayer? Paul says to, when he's writing to Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that he's longing to see him and that he's thanking God for them because he is mindful of his faith. He's remembering his faith. Or if you looked over, you don't have to turn there, but over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Listen to this, verse 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. He says, We're constantly bearing you in mind. We're constantly remembering you. Because we think about your faith and how it's working. We think about your love and how you're laboring. We're thinking about your hope and your faith and your trust in God. But as we think about this, let me encourage you to start taking time, if you're not already, to think about the other people in the church. Thank God for them. Maybe you need to get out an old church directory. Maybe you just need to start with those who may be in your Sunday school class or in your discipleship training class. Or maybe you just need to take some time and look at the people who tend to sit around you and spend that time in prayer thanking God and being thoughtful of them and worshiping them and spending, and not worshiping them, but worshiping God and, and offering up prayers to them. And don't look for perfection, but look for uh, evidence of grace in their life that you can be thanking God for as you think about them, how they serve. In fact, if you look at it again over in Philippians chapter 1, what you'll notice is that what he's thinking about is their participation in the gospel. 
There in verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel, that idea of participating there is their fellowshipping, that there's true fellowship that's taking place in the body of Christ there at the church at Philippi. That they are participating in the gospel by serving physically, by speaking out verbally, by even supporting financially the gospel. This is a church that is faithful in the gospel. And as Paul thinks about them, he thinks about their life, he thinks about their service, he thinks about what it is that they are doing and how they have even supported him financially. And he says, I just keep remembering all of you in my prayers. And as I do, I give thanks to God for you. So part of his personal prayer life was praising God for the church at Philippi. But also notice something. If you look down at verse 4 for a moment, it wasn't just praising of God. It was also petitioning God. Look at verse 4. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now that word there for prayer, there are different words that are in the original language that are used for prayer. And the word that Paul uses here is the word that speaks to petitions. He was petitioning God on their behalf. That is, as Paul thought about them, it led him to praise God for them, but it also led him to petition God on their behalf. And notice he's doing this for the whole church. He's doing this for the whole church, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. My view is of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. All of your participation in the gospel. As you read through the letter, what you will notice is that No doubt what he was praying for them as he was praying for their perseverance in the gospel, for their protection, for the sake of the gospel. He was even praying, no doubt, for their prosperity in regards for the gospel. He was praying for their unity in the gospel, their participation in the gospel. They would be growing in their wisdom and understanding. And clearly, if you look down at verse 9, he specifically says, And this I pray. This is what I pray for you. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. Because Paul wanted them to be able to approve the things that are excellent. He wanted them to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. He wanted them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. And he wanted all of this for the glory and praise of God. So Paul was faithfully praying for them that their love for Christ, their love for one another, would abound more and more. So, beloved, as you take the time to pray for others in the body of Christ... Make sure you're petitioning God for them. Make sure you're praying for them, lifting up their needs, lifting up what it is that they're facing. But now notice something as we look back again at this text. Not just what he was praying, but how he was praying. And there are three aspects to how it was he was praying. His prayers were personal, they were persistent, and they were pleasurable. 
Personal, persistent, and pleasurable. Clearly, they're personal. That is, they're personal with God because notice he says, I thank my God. Now, let's just stop right there for a moment because it is important that we recognize this. Can you sit here today and say that God is your God? See, that's where it starts. Can you honestly and sincerely say today, He is my God? That is, I have a personal relationship with God. I've entered into that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. To say that He is my God is to say He is my Master, He is my Lord, He is my Savior. He is the the driver, the pilot of my life. I have recognized my sinfulness. I have recognized my rebellion. And I have committed my life to Christ. You see, this is where this really must start. That you can genuinely say that He is my God. Because if you can't say He is my God then understand this and listen very carefully. God does not obligate himself to answer anything that you pray, no matter how desperate of a need you may have, because you're not his child. You are still rejecting him. You're rejecting his son. You're rejecting his love. But the good news is of the gospel is is that if you will stop rejecting him and you will surrender to him and you will put your faith in him and trust him with your soul and turn to him for the forgiveness of your sins, recognizing your rebellion against him, he will accept you, he will forgive you, and he will answer you. And he will then be your heavenly father. And now that he's your heavenly father, you are his child. And when you approach him as his child, he listens to your prayers. Paul knew that. So he could say, he's my God. So it was personal with Paul. And he's taking ownership of his prayer life. But also notice, it wasn't just personal with God, it was personal in regards to his love and affection, again, for this church at Philippi. And I think this is something that is missing missing so often in our lives, so often in churches, that there's not this personal affection and connection that is there between the brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice what he's saying. He says, I'm offering prayer with joy and my every prayer for you all. Every prayer. Stop and think about that. Every prayer that he offered on their behalf. He was remembering them. It was personal to him. As I said a moment ago, you look down at verse 7 and he says, I have you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This was personal for him. Beloved, but for it to be personal, you have to get personal with others. So we think about how this is to be done. It's to be personal. But also notice very carefully, it needs to be persistent. Verse 4, always... 
I'm always offering prayer with joy. Notice, in my every prayer for you all. Always offering prayer and all my remembrance of you. What Paul is saying is, is if he thought about them, he prayed for them. And if he prayed for them, he thanked God for them and he petitioned God for them. See, Paul wasn't a seasonal prayer. He was a persistent prayer. He persistently and consistently prayed for them. And this this is something that characterized his life. Again, if you will, for a moment, go go back to that passage we were looking at just a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 1. And notice again what we read a moment ago. There in verse 16 of Ephesians 1 where he says, He does not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. He just doesn't cease doing it. If he started praying for them, he was going to give thanks for them. He was going to be persistent in his thankfulness, persistent in his praise, persistent in his petitions. Look over One book behind Philippians, over in the book of Colossians for a moment. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Now, as we read this, now remember, these are words inspired by the Spirit of God. So we know this is true of Paul in his life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. We're always, we're always praying for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. We we just keep bearing in mind who you are and giving thanks to God. And we do this always for you. Look over in 1 Thessalonians for a moment. Chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2. He says, we give thanks to God always For all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Again, as we're bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. This was just a pattern of Paul. Look over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you. That is, we are morally responsible. When he says we ought to do this, he's saying this is something that is morally required of us from God. What is that? To always give thanks to God for you. This is what is fitting for us to do. To give thanks. And he give thanks always also for Timothy and for his faith over in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Beloved, Paul's prayers for this church at Philippi were personal. They were persistent. But notice also one other thing. They were pleasurable. Go back again to Philippians chapter 1. Notice he says he's always offering these petitions in his every petition for you all. But notice what is a part of it every time he offers it. Every time he prays for them, he is doing it with joy. He does it with joy. You see, 
Our prayers for each other should be something we do out of joy. It should not be something that is a chore. It shouldn't be something we see as a burden. It should be something that we have a a joy and a pleasure to do. Especially for one another. And this really, this goes back to his affection for them. His affection for Christ and his affection for them. I'll tell you what makes it so joyful for Paul. How he can have such joy and pleasure when he would pray for them. It's because when he remembered them and how they were participating in the gospel, he knew God had done a saving work in their hearts, a saving work in their life. And he was still working in them. You see, this is something we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks from now. We're going to come back and look closely here at verse 5 and verse 6. And we're going to see on one hand that the perseverance of the saints, of the true believers in the gospel and faith. But on the other hand, in verse 6, we're going to see the preservation of God for all of the saints. And how it is God that's doing that work in their life. And the reason why in verse 6, Paul has such confidence. He has this tremendous confidence in them is because in verse 5 their participation in the gospel has not waned. He says there from the first day until now and this now is years later. Years later all these people who came to Christ guess what? They're still serving the Lord. They're all still serving Him. And that's why He has a confidence. God has done a work in their heart. God has done a work in their life. How does He know that? Because He sees it. He hears it. This is why He has such pleasure. He can come to God with joy in His heart. Oh Lord, as I remember the brethren over there at Philippi. It brings us joy to remember them, Lord, to know of their fellowshipping in the gospel, of their participating in the gospel. And Lord, as I think about them and how they're serving and how they're sharing and all that they are doing, Lord, I just give you praise for them. I thank you for them. And I want to petition you on their behalf that, Lord, help them to persevere, protect them, lead them in unity. Keep working, Lord, increasing their love for you, their love for the Word, their love for each other, their love for the lost. This is Paul. He had such pleasure as he prayed. So, beloved, this is what we need to incorporate into our own prayer life. And I have no doubt that as we think about what we've heard here today, that it is challenging. And in some ways, it would transform our prayer life, our personal prayer time with the Lord. But I want to encourage you to ask God to help you to pray. Ask God to help you to have affections for Him and affections for each other. Ask God to show you maybe where your affections are. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there, there, there's some bitterness. Maybe there's just some things that you just have your heart set on more than you have it set on God. And ask God to show you that, that you may confess that and deal with that. Ask God to help you 
to plan to pray. Ask God to help you to use the tools that we've mentioned already, whether it's taking those who are in your Sunday school class, discipleship training, or those who just sit around you. Look, we all pretty much sit in the same spot every Sunday, don't we? Well, take advantage of that. That's practical. Okay? The people who sit behind you, sit to the side of you, sit in front of you, start praying for them. Get out a church directory and pray for them. Take a page of that directory and for that week you're going to just pray for those families that are on that page. Lift them up. Thank God for them. You see, what it, but, but what it's going to require you to do is to take some time to think about them. Think about what you know about their life. Think about what's going on in their life. And praise God for what you see, but also petition God for what you see. But let me just ask this question as we close. Do you pray? Maybe as you're sitting here listening to this this morning, you're thinking, this doesn't register with me. I really have no interest in praying. I really have no interest in praying for others. Well, beloved... May I help you to think through that, that maybe the reason that is is because you're not a child of God? Maybe you're in need of Christ. You say, why would you say that? Well, because if, if, when we're converted, beloved, and we come to Christ, His Spirit comes to take resonance inside of us, and one of the things the Spirit does is it helps us to cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out to God. Not only that, when you go and look at the conversion of Paul, when God sends Ananias to him, he says, you're going to find this man praying. When we look on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and proclaimed the gospel and proclaimed Jesus, and it says thousands came to know Christ, guess what? They devoted themselves to prayer. It just comes out of their life. Now, we all can struggle with prayer, and we all may not pray as we should. And I'm not talking about that that we want to pray when all of a sudden there's something desperate comes to our life. I'm just saying, is there a desire in your heart to seek the Lord? I think about the publican in the story that Jesus tells of the difference between the Pharisee and the publican. And he says that that, that publican who went home justified in the sight of God, he prayed, Father, have mercy on me, the sinner. Faith. What I'm saying is, is, has there been a change in your heart? A change in your affections? A change in your desires, a change in the direction of your life. Now all those things, God is going to be working in your life, making you more like Christ. We don't don't become perfect in any of those things. I'm not perfect in my affections for Christ, in my desires for Christ, in my direction of my life for Christ. None of those things are perfect. But there's a change that happens. There's a change. I've shared this with you before. I think I have. Maybe I haven't. Maybe an illustration of this. I'll just tell you from my own life is when I was in high school, if you would have asked me again, as I've said to you before, I would have said I was a believer, but I had no desire for God. 
I definitely had no desire to pray to God. And this became very evident when my sister started dating a young man, a young man who, uh, well, he's not a young man now, he's older, who became her husband. And she brought him home from Louisiana Tech. They were both attending Tech, and she brought him home, and his name was Jeff. And Jeff, bless his heart, he, he came and he's like, hey, let's go out and shoot some basketball. You know, he wanted to come out. He knew I, I loved sports. And let's go out and shoot some basketball. And so we, I went outside and did some shooting with him. And we get in the car. And they said, let's go grab something to eat. So he and my sister Chris and myself get in the car. And I'm in the back seat. And we start riding. We're going to town to get something to eat. And he turns on. He said, man, Bobby, you're going to love this music. And he puts in this Christian music. And I just kind of roll my eyes like, Turn this stuff off. I don't want to hear any of this. And we get there, and we go. I remember we're sitting in the Burger King there in Pineville on Highway 28. And he says, we get our food, we all sit down. He says, let's, let's pray. Let's pray before we eat. And I just remember looking at my sisters like, he's crazy. If he thinks I'm fixing to bow my head in this restaurant and pray. And she's giving me the old evil eyes a sister can give, like, bow your head. And I'm looking at her like, no, I'm not. And she and I are just in this mental battle, just going back and forth. And so he just finally starts praying, and I just kind of keep my eyes open, looking around, like, I, I want nothing to do with this. Nothing. It's because God didn't really have my heart. I, I-, I wasn't a-, a follower of his. See, as we're going to see in a moment, or not in a moment, as we're going to see when we get over to Philippians 3, that Christ had, in saving Paul, had laid hold of him. He had seized him. He captured him. And when he captured him, he gave him a a, a drive in his heart to pursue Christ and to pursue Christ-likeness. And you see... At that point in my life, Christ really hadn't seized me. Well, I had all the head knowledge a person could have, but he really hadn't seized my heart. He really hadn't seized my life, and I had no desire to pursue Christ. There was nothing in my life that says, go after Christ. Nothing. Beloved, this is what I'm sharing as you think about this. Has Christ seized you? Has he seized your heart? Do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as Lord? I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.